Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hello, everyone. This is Dan with Blurb. I'm in New York City today with a longtime friend, Damon Webster. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing just fine. I'm still alive and having a great few days here in New York with, uh, with yourself, with Ron Haviv and some other cool people, which always happens when I come to New York because everybody's eight minutes away from where I'm sitting right now. There you go. So you are the creator, director, producer, photographer of Photo Induced. Which is uh, how would you describe this website? Um, I, I'd like to say it's for the uh, the lover of photography, the person who, uh, it being a very technological medium. Yes, there is uh, there is the gear factor, but at the end of the day, it's just those are just tools. And I'll always tell people about the tools. As photographers, we always love tools, but if you can't appreciate the images that are made, then what's the point? What's the point? So before we dive into photo induced, let's go way back. Let's go to back to baby baby Damon days. Mm-hmm. When what age? Where were you? You're from New York, uh, Jersey actually. Jersey, okay. Yeah. And when was when did photography sort of become an idea for you? Well, I think when I was about eight years old. Uh, before that, I had been doing. I was drawing. I was making block prints. I was doing all these different things. And actually, I just rediscovered some of my old block prints from oh, when no I was way. a kid. Yeah. But I remember going into our uh, crappy bookcase that I think my brother probably made in Woodshop, and I found an old uh, softcover copy of The Family of Man. And I'll never forget this, looking through this book, and I was feeling things, and, and I just said, oh my God, if, if I can feel from this one single image, that's what I want to know how to do. That's what I want to do. And that was it. From then on, I would buy, we were not, didn't have a lot of money growing up, pretty much hardly any, uh, and I would buy these old Kodaks that still had the bellows, and I would put roll film in, and I'd process in my bedroom. That's awesome. I would buy the 100-foot rolls oh, of yeah. film. Bulk, and ro- bulk I, load. I would bulk load, and I would just do everything. I'd have a red light in my uh, bedroom. Did your parents kind of wonder, like, maybe you were, uh, you know, a little, a little different because no, of the red light? Nah, they, they didn't care. Uh, honestly, uh, my parents were divorced, and um, my father, when he had been at a company as a going-away gift, they gave him a camera, a tripod, and some developing things. Cool. Cool he, company. Right? They passed that, he passed that to my brother. Okay. And there was a point when I was little that I would send negatives to my brother who was going to college. And he would print? And he would print for no me. No way. Yeah. So then uh, there was a place in, uh, in New York called uh, Willoughby's. And there's Willoughby's and Spiritone. Those were the big uh, companies here. And I would save money. And uh, I won't tell you how I made it. I would sell. <laughs> I, would, I would buy toys that would make other toys, and I would sell those toys. Wow, that's cool. There's a little entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, it was like I didn't have any money, so I was going to figure out how to get that money. Sure. So uh, eventually, I bought a, uh, a cheap uh, Willoughby uh, enlarger. Okay. And I would save money to get paper and chemicals and start doing it there. Do you think that having to go through that arduous process of actually working in photography 
did that change photography? And the reason I'm asking is if you had started in 2005 and you went out and bought a Canon G12 and started shooting and had no, like, you know, you can get a camera for a couple hundred bucks and boom, you're, you're in photography. It's a different experience. And you started back when it was like, shit, I have to pay for each one of these rolls of film and I've got to make toys, sell toys, buy the film, process. It gives you a different understanding of photography. And I'm wondering because you have a love of photography that's unparalleled. I mean, I think, and that's what really makes you, you interesting and different is the fact that you're, you, you can cover the technology side of this industry, but at the same time, I have seen you all over the world at shows and book signings and openings, and you go to everything. Do you think it started with that initial idea of how hard you had to work to actually be a photographer? You know, I think, it, I think it's actually a, a bigger picture than that. I think it's more about the love of, of, of an image. Hmm. And whatever it takes to get that image, uh, I think it is it it is easier today. Yeah, to go out and make an image, but that's not the point. I think that if you've seen enough imagery, you know when that extra five percent. You know when someone truly has hit it. There's so many images that become that get close. As an example, if you look at someone like Cartier Bresson, who has very very it, it seems like they're incredibly thought-out images, and they're so perfect. And then when Robert Frank came around, all of a sudden it kind of blew open the doors, and what could be images or be considered good photography shifted. Mm-hmm, for I, sure. And and I think what has happened is it's it's almost uh, let's see, I'm not sure how to put it. Well, what's, we just referenced Frank's show a minute ago before I hit right. record, and one of the things that blew me away about that show was that his contact sheets were all over the map, exposure-wise. Right. right. Under three or four, over three or four, and someone told me that he never even carried a meter. He didn't really, wasn't occupied with that. He just wanted to make imagery. The second thing was that there were, he shot somewhere, it's either 27,000 or 72,000 images for that project, and they edited 53 for the book. And it's, some, it's an example that I built into all my presentations about what real editing means. That's a real edit. But when you looked at the contact sheets, there were so many other remarkable images that didn't make the book. That's what blew me away was, holy cow. And yeah, he did. It was a tectonic shift of like not only what that book did for Americans to look, you know, see their country through a different filter, but it shifted photography for sure, and I think that you, the ripples of that are still being felt. Uh, no, no question. I think everybody feels that uh, they can uh, walk into Best Buy, uh, buy a camera, walk out, and they are a photographer. In a sense, they are. Look, brownies have been around yep. since Kodak made uh, flexible film, and you know, you push the button, we do the rest. Now it's you push the button, you do the rest. You do the rest, yeah. And which is which is fine. I think it's great. I th- what I think. What is great about uh, what photography is doing now is that, as a people, we are developing a visual culture, a visual language mm-hmm. that everybody understands. Well, and that's accessible to everyone. Right. Yeah. And it, and even more exciting, and that's fantastic. It doesn't uh, take away from uh, the classic imagery or fine art imagery that truly it, you can see the touch of the master. You said a really important thing a minute ago, which is 5%. That 5% extra that separates the, re- the truly remarkable images from the sea of, of ordinary and how rare and difficult those are. I, st- I st- think today they're as, as equally as difficult as they've ever been. I think they're as rare as they've ever been, even though you, you're seeing a lot more imagery. Do you remember the first image that you made that you said, I'm onto something here, this could be 
this could be great. Yes. Share. Yeah. Um, I actually just found the negatives. When I was about 16, I had a friend who worked for social services in, a, in Passaic, New Jersey. Okay. And he asked me to come along with him. Uh, and uh, so I brought a camera that I borrowed from somebody because I couldn't afford a 35 at that point. And I was in all these homes, and I was photographing these people. And I remember seeing one of the shots of a little boy standing in a doorway. I was like, oh, okay. I'm getting closer. Yeah. I'm getting closer. You know, as, as I start going through the, the years of imagery that I have, I'm trying to figure out, I'm a terrible editor, and I'm trying to figure out what is, what is that right image, and mm-hmm. is it that frame next to it? I have a shot I did of Tina Weymouth, 1978. Uh, I hung out with Talking Heads uh, backstage after they did a concert on mm-hmm. Sprout Plaza in Berkeley. Okay. And there's one image I've always looked at, and that was always the image. I've now found the negatives, and right next to it was this other image of her. Uh-oh. And Now what? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going down the rabbit hole. It's interesting that you can make the admission that I'm not a good editor, because I think there's a lot of photographers who would, you know, if, if, if truthfully they, they spoke their mind, they would say, oh, I'm, I'm potentially not a great editor of my own work either, which speaks to the idea of bringing someone in. But you told me a few minutes ago that you were sort of rediscovering your archive and that you'd gone back. What, so are you mining this thing for real? You're going back through the whole thing? And, yes. Okay. And, yeah. and like what kind of size archive were we talking about? Well, I just moved to, to New York from Los Angeles, and uh, the way boxes traveled with me through my life, mm-hmm. when I moved to, uh, I was in Pacific Palisades about uh, 20 years ago, things that were in my garage that had been in my garage for three years before. Okay. And then when I moved out of the Palisades, all those boxes just kind of moved to another closet. Okay. And when I finally moved to uh, New York, I had a pare down thing, so I started going through all the boxes. Okay. I now brought with me five boxes, five like file folder letter mm-hmm. boxes of negatives and transparencies through my life. Um, and what kind of like what kind of range are we talking about? Friends and family, famous people, everything. 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 Uh, there was, when I was uh, 16, I photographed Ethel Kennedy and Helen Gahagan Douglas. Wow. Because a local newspaper said, hey, you've got a camera. Can you go out? And I'm like, yeah, I can. And <laughs> thankfully, because I was never a great printer, uh, technology, I'm, I'm much better in, in the digital world, sure. honestly, for my negatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've now uh, discovered new images that, I never worked with before. That's exciting. It's, it's That's incredible. Like going out and shooting today and making new work, but it's already there and you it, just have to mine it. Exactly. Have and you thought about, you know, bringing an editor in? Uh, yeah, I've had some people offer and nobody really comes through. I mean, it's, it's a passion play. I'll help you. No, not really. I leave yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I found that was uh, bizarre when I told you when I was a kid, I didn't have much money mm-hmm. and I couldn't even afford the Spiritone negative sleeves. Okay. So I would wrap all my negatives in paper towels. Oh, classic. They are still. In paper towels. In paper towels. And I stapled the contact sheet, which because I had some double-weight paper that was matte, that's what those contact sheets were. Wow. How do the contacts look? Are they still holding up pretty well? Totally. Yeah. The contacts are holding up, and obviously I fixed things long enough. 
How do you not love analog technology? It is still yeah. there. It yeah. is not lost. It is not, there are no bits that have gone off to a drive that has failed. Yeah. It is, it is amazing. Yeah. And, I, I, I think about it every day. I absolutely love it. And I think about yeah. all the work that's out there that no one's discovered yet. Right. And that's, I'm working with Ron right now on his, Ron Haviv's Lost Rolls project, where he found 128 rolls of unprocessed film with no real knowledge of what's on it. And so we processed it last week, look, took a first look yesterday, and it's pretty cool. Well, it, it's amazing rediscovering things. And one thing I found, strangely enough, I've been photographing music forever. I photographed uh, Frank Zappa with Jean-Luc Ponty and um, uh, Flo and Eddie. Wow. Way back. And I just found those negatives. Jeez. And uh, I photographed, I was backstage with uh, Dizzy Gillespie. There was, um, do you want me to go into any of this? Yeah, yeah, oh, Okay, anyway. So I was uh, shooting this jazz festival, and I'm backstage. It was the Greek Theater in Berkeley. And I was smoking at the time, and Dizzy comes up to me. He goes, hey, man, you know, that's my brand. It was Export A's. He goes, can I get a smoke from you? I said, tell you what, if you let me photograph you, I'll give you a pack. Sweet. Done and done. So all of a sudden, I'm photographing Dizzy Gillespie backstage, blew out the cheeks, did the whole thing. Oh. Then all of a sudden, he and I were like buddies. He gives me a calendar that he got from some Chicago's jazz club. And now, all of a sudden, I had access all over because people saw me hanging out with Dizzy. And the images I have of Dizzy are just phenomenal. At that same uh, event, it was Joni Mitchell and Herbie Hancock. Wow. So I had access to them as they were rehearsing and discussing how they were going to do the set. Joni Mitchell's hot. Yeah. Definitely hot. It was, it was full-on uh, curls. Ugh. Uh, Jaco Pastorius, who's no longer with us, who there's not, he was uh, one of the most famous bass players in jazz. One thing that he did, he had a fretless uh, bass. Ay, ay, ay. Having taken my first guitar lesson two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I'm already impressed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Those who know that jazz world... There's not a lot of images of this guy. Now, knowing what I know about photography and celebrity and music and the history of these things in publication and in gallery spaces, it, it seems to me like this would be the kind of discovery and the kind of work that really has legs, that you could, you could kind of write your own ticket in terms of you know, ex- exhibiting this work, writing these backstories. It could be a great book or exhibition. Well, you know, I, I honestly don't know. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I've, I've put images onto Facebook. And I have my little copyright on there, and who knows who may yeah. have downloaded it. Yeah, I made a print of those three days ago. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure they do uh, degrade the image to a certain point, but if people want the image, they have the image. But I really put it up there to float the balloon. Yeah. The world of photography books is actually a pretty small world. You know, yeah. they're, they're not big runs, and no, I'm not sure. Small. Yeah. And I'm not sure who would buy it. And. I've, in New York, there's a, the Morrison Hotel Gallery. Sure, yeah. Which was started by Henry Diltz, who's one of the, you know, the masters of uh, rock and roll photography. And also one of the coolest people you're ever going to meet. Right. Yeah, just a killer guy. Right. Uh, I actually have that. Uh, he did a show in uh, the early 80s called Talk About Pictures. Okay. He was interviewed. I have video interviews of photographer masters that will blow your mind. Wow. Alfred Eisenstadt. You want to see Ansel Adams just sitting across a table, just joshing people. You did these interviews? No. No, no, no. I I have access to them. A friend of mine, some guy I met on a set, his father was Lee Wiener. Okay. And 
they own 120 shows. Holy we'll talk moly. about pictures. Wow. Much of it was done on two-inch videotape. Beautiful. So there's not many of those machines left, mm-hmm. and we need somebody to, I don't know if we do a Kickstarter. Go to Eastman House. Who you know, ha- how try. much money do they have? Who knows? But, you know, I think, yeah. well, I might have another connection for you that we can okay. talk about offline okay. in L.A. Because there's someone in L.A. who did an unbelievable series of films uh, called The Studio Sessions, Norman Seif. Okay. And I don't know if you've ever seen these, but they are some of the best interviews and the most revealing personal uh, stories that I've ever seen, primarily of musicians, and they are unlike anything that I've seen. And he has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I don't know what they're doing with them. I think you can find some of them on his website. Uh, All I can say is that they're remarkable and you should see them because I, I was blown away. Well, I'll send you the, I, I edited a three-minute version with just clips of all the yeah. uh, celebrity photographers. Not not that they photograph celebrity, but in our world, they yeah, are celebrities. They're, they're heroes, yeah. But this, it just still brings up the question of... Oh that's all right. That's okay. We had a little, we had a little visitor. Okay. That's all right. Um, Only one interruption in an interview. It's like a miracle. Bad, right? yeah. uh, I've actually photographed a magazine cover here. Oh, in this room? In this room, while somebody was doing work on this table, and then three high school kids, and they were just like, oh, wow, what are you doing? It's like, you know. Yeah, just shooting a cover. Exactly. You know, I'm Damon. Right? (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) Um, uh, So the question comes up, what do you do with these images? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not much in book sales. Yeah. And if you license them, stock photography costs are, our prices are nowhere. Do not do that. Nowhere near. No, can't do it. And I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. Now, I've been doing some work with the Morrison Hotel Gallery, yeah. where as press, I do coverage for them. Uh, I did something a couple of months ago. They asked me to cover if I would shoot the entrances at the um, Stevie Nicks photo exhibit. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm not really a red carpet kind of guy, yeah. but if I can be at the party afterwards mm-hmm. and photograph that. You got that right. Now I'm interested. Yeah, because you're the guy that hangs with Dizzy. Right? There yeah. we go. So yeah. I, so they said, yeah, you're on. So I actually got shots. I did one shot of, um, of Mick Fleetwood, and everybody feels that he sat for me for a portrait. Yeah. What they don't realize is that he was just walking past a white wall. And you nailed him. And I nailed him. <laughs> but I have to say, you know who I work for, yes. right? I don't like to, fe- to speak a lot about blurb on, on these interviews because then it seems like I'm trying to like shill the company uh-huh. which I am uh-huh. but you could at the very least you could edit this and put it into a book that you could shop around and uh, and also in defense of like traditional photo book publishing you're you're it's right you're right it's expensive it's slow it's uh sh- typically small runs and they typically don't sell that well having said that this type of content is one of the few things that I think does have legs and will sell based on the books that I've seen come out in the past 5 years and knowing people like Henry and knowing other people that have shot mm-hmm. shot this kind of work and I think too even if you let's say that you printed 1000 copies of this book and you sold or placed two or five of these books and the rest of them sit in your house for a while depending on where those two or five books end up if someone at the museum in town here, the Met or somebody says, wow, this is a really great thing. And then at some point in time, they say, look, we're going to do a retrospective music show and your book sitting on their shelf. And they go, who's this guy, Damon Webster? And suddenly you have an, you're part of an exhibition in the Met. That book, even though it was expensive and might not sell, could take your career to a very different place. Uh, uh, totally. This is what I'm trying to explore now. Cool. As 
now I actually have the boxes of negatives here. My goal over the uh, most recent holiday mm-hmm. was to gather all of my music images. And I got to tell you, yeah. not until four days ago when I was going through my taxes yeah. and I had brought a file cabinet from Los Angeles. Oh, boy. And all of a sudden there's these, these folders that were in the back of the uh, drawer. I'm like, what's this? <gasps> oh, my God. There's not only the negatives, but the notes. Oh, even better. Even better. And I knew that was it. So That was a message. It, it was. And so what I've been doing now is I've, I try to be good about the scans. I've only done about 20 scans so far of the negatives. Mm-hmm. And before, I was taking photographs of the prints. Yeah. And now when I see the difference, it's just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just sweet. Yeah. And thank God for the healing tool. It's been, oh, uh, yeah. it's been, been quite good for me. So will you share a couple of these when I post that interview? Maybe we give people a little sneak? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, and with some of my work I've been doing with uh, the Morrison Hotel Gallery, I went to a jazz exhibit. Okay. And uh, so I, I'm there, and I'm seeing all these images. I'm like, well, wait a second. What, what about this shot of Dizzy? And I know you have Sonny Rollins, who, with his white beard, mm-hmm. walking on the street, blurry. But I'm with him on stage here as he's looking over at me while he's playing his sax up in the air. They said, oh, my goodness. We look for things, uh, images of iconic mm-hmm. figures and images that are not widely seen. I said, well, that's, that's what me. I got. Yeah. <laughs> Come to my file cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a goldmine. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but I'm really enjoying it. And I truly remember all the, all the times that I sure. shot. Well, the other thing, too, is that that is a body of work that uh, belongs to us all collectively because it's about the culture that we, everyone loves. So, for example, if I do a little documentary project somewhere in a finite group of people, maybe that has a very small audience. You know, I don't look at that and say, oh, this belongs to the American people as a collective. But that kind of work really does. It sort of transcends culture. It transcends race. It transcends socioeconomic areas. It's about music and culture and art. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about it. Uh, well, it's history. You have, you have a preserve. Well, that's the thing, that's the thing about negative. Oh, it's look, I shoot film. I don't like digital. So you're, you're talking, you're talking right up my alley. (laughs) But, but to that point, I now also cover, um, uh, any concert I can. Sure. And so when I go to South by Southwest, I get credentialed for my cameras. So I'm in the pit. Nice. So I'm still shooting. I'm still shooting and I'm shooting that digital. Yeah. I actually, I went to a Nick Cave concert. Yeah. And I was trying to, trying to be good. I couldn't get credentials. So I said, I'm just going to take my iPhone. I'm not going to do anything. But sure. I also always carry Oliclip lenses. Okay, yeah. The little... Or Oloclip, yeah. The ones that screw on the front? No, they clip on. Clip on. Hence the clip in the name. Correct. Yeah, I'm and slow. It's, and it's real glass. Okay. And so I put on my little telephoto, and I wormed my way up by the stage. I'd seen him once before, and I remembered he started to interact with the audience. I wasn't sure if he would still do it. So I knew he went to either side. So I picked what I hoped would be the right side. I was able to get so close that he was wearing this, like, silvery shirt on stage. I was like, Mm -hmm. I wonder what that's made of. So I reached up and I felt it. No way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There was a point where he was, like, he was all over this 
person right in front of me, and I was shooting so much with my iPhone, I couldn't help it. Yeah. I ran out of battery. Look, you and, did what you had to do. And I, and I got the shot, which I, I, I will show you, but we can keep talking here. But that story you just told, that, that's important on a lot of levels. Because one, you're at a Nick Cave concert. You go to everything. Like, it, there's nothing that transpires anywhere in the world that you don't go to, because <laughs> I know I've seen you there. <laughs> but secondly, you had this history and this knowledge of him as a performer. You had an idea of what you wanted. You knew how he performed, the tendencies that he had, and then you exploited that, that tendency. And that, to me, is really important. I was talking to a photographer last week, and we were talking about research. And a lot of younger photographers, not all by any stretch, but some that I've, t I've spoken to seem to somewhat be offended by the idea of doing research. And they say, oh, I don't want to do any research. I don't want to cloud my brain. I'm just going to go. And the photographer I spoke to last week said, God, that's just total bullshit. That's laziness for not wanting to do research. So in essence, your life, your history of research, was really put you in the position to do that. Well, I think that it's... Yeah, that's like you're, cl he, you're closer to him than you and I are sitting right now. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah you're on top of him. Um, Not but literally, the, but no, exactly. even Thank though you. you were grabbing his shirt. Well, I just had to touch it. I just was saying, oh, that's what it's made of. It was actually some heavy-duty metal. It was bizarre. But what I, I look at every event, and one thing I love about being in New York, I look at every event as an, as an opportunity to shoot. Mm -hmm. um, That's good. That's hot. He's showing me a picture on the iPhone, and it's, and it's a backlit Nick Cave with strobes and crowd in the foreground, and his, he's got the backlit glow, and then there's a spot on his face. It's beautiful. Right, and yeah. I would be proud to show this to anybody as far as my rock and roll portfolio. Yeah. But I always I find if the, in New York there are parades all the time, mm -hmm. and whether you're shooting the event or you're shooting the people around it, mm -hmm. I really think of it as me going to the visual gym. Working out. I'm working out. Yeah. And it's just another, it's, it's not, may not be an assignment. I'm not sure what I may do with the images. Yeah. But I'm working it out. I'm working out, you know, what lensing am I using? What cameras am I using? How, what kind of light am I w waiting for? Yeah. As you see a couple of floats go by, you realize how people may react. So you start just reading the situation, and who knows, maybe out of a day of shooting a thousand images, maybe there's one or two that you say, hey, you know what, maybe there is something there. But also reviewing gear, that also gives me an opportunity to really go out, to go out and, and test it. Yeah, because I will not truly review a piece of gear unless I've actually used it. Well, I think it's an important point. I was telling somebody a couple of days ago, um, I think it was Ron, that I, this blurb job keeps me jumping all the time so I don't get to shoot nearly as much as I nor as I used to and the few times a year that I actually get out and make pictures it typically takes me three or four days to figure out what I'm doing again I see all these pictures that I should have photographed and I missed it I'm not I'm not ready I don't I, it doesn't work yet and I think it's a good point I think you have to it's a muscle that you developed in a in a dance that you learn I can't dance to save my life but the one kind of dance that I can do is to go into the field and make documentary work but it takes practice and time and and you break a lot of eggs. You right. know, I think the vast majority of eggs that I have, I break. Well, but I think that's, that you, you have to fail to succeed. Absolutely. It's something that I, I typically ask people a lot about. And Frank Ockenfels has a really amazing quote about that on his, not quote, but sort of explanation of, like, how do you not fail? Uh, it's, a, it's a part of the learning process. And if you're not failing, then you're really not pushing yourself far enough to, to get better. Yeah. But I think 
Today, there's, failure is looked at very differently than it was back when you know, I graduated from photo school in 92, and failure was a big part of everything. I mean, you, you realized when you're processing a roll of film and then you're throwing those negs on the light box and you had to go into the dark room, when you realized you were going in the dark room and you were going to devote X amount of time to a print, it better be a good negative. And most of them weren't. And you realized, wow, like the vast majority of times that I'm pressing the button, I'm, it's not good. And then occasionally you get that 5%er and you go, holy shit, I made something great. Right. Um, but it's, I think failure is a, it's fun. I mean, I've been trying to, I'm going to learn guitar this year. It's going to be painful. Last year I tried to learn how to draw and paint. That was very painful. So, but you know, a couple things come out of it and you're like, Hey, this is totally worth it. Well, I, you know, my, my day job is in advertising. And what I try to talk to everybody about, especially the new people coming in is stay curious. Yeah. You, You should be curious about everything that's out there. And another advantage of being in New York City, it's, it is like the Internet. There is no end to it. Yeah. There's so much going on here. There's so many things to see, so many things to, to experience mm-hmm. and to react to or capture. And I try to share that. Yeah. I've been tagging a lot of my images uh, past year called Curious Tourist. Interesting. I think that is a, a really profound thing, staying curious. Yeah. Because it's really easy to get sort of pigeonholed into your little belief system and not venture out. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I found that people who live in New York, they'll look at my images and say, dude, you just did more in a weekend than I'm doing in a year. And I said, why? Yeah. I mean. What's the, what's the rub? Yeah. It's like even I, I should take my, my daughter out when she was little. We would always go out and do things. And whenever I'm with her, we still do that. We still we try to make memories and try to have adventures. Talk about a cool dad. <laughs> Come on. Well, we've hit the 30-minute mark, okay. and I think that that's a pretty good, pretty good taste. I could talk to you all day long, and I hope that we can come back. I can come back at some point and do a, do a follow-up to this, potentially when there's the exhibition and the book launch of your, of your archives. But I really appreciate you taking time to do this. I called you, I think, yesterday or the day before and said, please, and you made time for us. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening to all my uh, whatever. Gladly. All right.